We are going to be in Acts chapter 10 this morning. Acts chapter 10 is 48 verses, and we're going to cover all 48 verses. Don't panic. We will get through them in good order. We have mentioned for the last few weeks a statement, something along the lines of this. God creates opportunities for people to meet Jesus through interaction with his disciples. Let me say that again. God is the one who creates opportunities for people to meet Jesus through interaction with his disciples. Now, if that's true, and I call myself a disciple of Jesus, then I need to be prepared. I need to be looking out for opportunities to share my faith with others, to bear witness to the truth that Jesus is Savior and Lord. If you're here this morning and you're a disciple of Jesus, the same holds true of you. We looked last week at a passage in Acts chapter 8 where a particular disciple, Philip, was called to meet with a particular man who was simply known as the Ethiopian eunuch in a completely out-of-the-way, backwoods spot because Jesus was going to bring them together in that spiritual encounter. As disciples, are we looking for those opportunities? Are we prepared for those opportunities? So I've been perfecting my witnessing technique. I've been working on this. I've been making it a priority in my own life. I don't want to ask you to, uh, to be thinking about something and not doing it myself. So uh, I had another opportunity this week. I was sitting in the back room at Spencer's on Thursday morning about 6.30, having breakfast and reading the sports page, minding my own business, which is the way I go about perfecting my witnessing technique. The back room at Spencer's, I say the back room at Spencer's like it's something special. You know, this, this, is not, this is not the Ritz. If you cram everybody in there, you can get about eight people in this, in this little room. But about halfway through my breakfast, these two guys walk in. They sit down at a table next to me. And again, when I say a table next to me, I could reach out and just about touch them. And, uh, and so it's not like I'm eavesdropping, okay? It's, it's not like I'm trying to listen in on a conversation. They're, they're literally just right here, and they're going back and forth. I mean, they're just after each other. Why didn't you do this? Oh, you're so dumb. And, da, da, da. and finally, I kind of glance over, and I look at them, and they kind of look at me, and I'm like, so how long have you guys been married? <laughs> I thought it was a good opening line. And uh, the one guy laughs. He goes, oh, it's, it, it's worse than that. We're brothers. And uh, so... I got to talk to the, to, the, to the two brothers for a little while, and they were talking about, you know, just they were asking about Spencer's. They hadn't been in there in a while, so I was giving them kind of the run through. And, um, and they, the one guy, I said, uh, so what do you do? And the one guy said, we are in something, something roofing guarantees, and I didn't quite understand it. And I listened for a minute. I, I still didn't understand it, but I had kind of the interested look on my face. And then he says to me, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm in the eternity guarantee business. How would you like a guarantee on your return? I'm glad you all got that. It was really good because I kind of got a blank stare from him at first. So I had to follow up with, with I'm a minister, which is a real showstopper, okay? At Spencer's at 6.30 in the morning, they're like, oh, nice, see you later. Um, but if it's true, if it's accurate, that, that this is how God works. Yes, there are certainly people that are sitting in a hotel room and pick up a Gideon's Bible and read it and come to Christ. No, no doubt about that. There's certainly people who maybe, uh, you know, see Billy, uh, reruns of Billy Graham Crusade on TV and come to Christ. Absolutely. But most often, and those of us that are disciples in this room can point to the fact that it was probably somebody that sat down and told us about Jesus. And if that's the fact, then, then the question that I have to ask myself is, what is going to ignite my passion to truly join him in this experience? What is it that's going to still my fears and empower me to throw caution to the wind and confidently bear witness to the grace and the mercy of God in Christ Jesus? You see, I believe that God is about knocking down walls, not putting them up. I believe God is about undoing my status quo 
And he calls me and he calls his disciples to abandon everything that hinders his kingdom. He calls me to abandon my love, my reputation, my complete obsession with my social standing or my bank accounts. He calls me to lay aside my long-held biases or bigotry, my judgmentalism, and my self-righteous love for rule-keeping. And he invites me to join him in his kingdom building. He invites me to be available for these kinds of moments, whether they be somewhat silly or deadly serious, for the cause of people coming to Christ. This morning in Acts chapter 10, we're going to meet two men. One man's name is Cornelius. One man's name is Peter. They have absolutely nothing in common. Their backgrounds are radically different. Their national heritage couldn't be more different. And they find themselves coming together not because of their commonality, but because they were both objects of God's deep and abiding affections. And he's, they're both about to have their worlds turned upside down. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at Acts chapter 10. Now, normally I would, I would, I would stop here at the, at the end of my introduction and I would read the passage of Scripture we're studying, but I'm not going to read 48 verses for you because uh, that's, that would be a challenge to your attention span. So I've invited some friends this morning to help me share this passage with you in bite-sized pieces. So the passage will be on the screen. Uh, different people at different moments will be moving around to a microphone and we'll be sharing some verses. I'll make a couple comments about those verses and that's how we're going to work through it. Uh, so we're going to start with verses 1 through 8 in Acts chapter 10. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible and listen to the words as they're read. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed... He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Uh, these first eight verses and, and verses 9 through 16, which you'll hear in just a moment, uh, are under the heading of what I'm going to call preparing the participants. That as God brings people together, he actually does some work ahead of time in their lives, maybe through their circumstances, maybe through a direct encounter like we read in Acts chapter 10, uh, maybe through a family connection. But God does not just kind of leave things to unfold. He orchestrates them according to his gracious and merciful will. And so we read a little bit about his preparation of Cornelius. Cornelius was an officer in the Roman legions. He was a member of the occupation force in the nation of Israel. Israel had been conquered by Rome. And Cornelius is assigned to an area called Caesarea, uh, which is in kind of the, the, the coastal area plain, the nation of Israel. And he is serving his emperor. But as you notice from this passage, Cornelius is also intently speaking, spirit, seeking spiritual truth. And, and along with his entire family, he has been captivated by this God of whom he has heard through the nation of Israel. And there's something in his heart that is stirred, and there's something that's gotten his attention. And there's something that, that is making him want to uh, engage with this God on some worship on some level. 
So here's a, here's a career soldier, an officer, a man of some importance, a man of moderate wealth. He has servants. He has a, a large home. Who would you send to this guy? Who would you pick if you were a God to go and talk to Cornelius? I thought about it for a minute. I thought I would pick the centurion who was at the crucifixion of Jesus, who said, surely this was the son of God. They've got a lot of stuff in common. They're, the bo- they're both the same rank. They serve in the same army. I would be looking for what's my best strategy to prepare this guy to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to verses 9 through 16 as God continues to prepare the participants. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So God's not going to go with my plan. <laughs> I've got to you know, get somebody that kind of looks just like Cornelius. They talk the same language, and God goes the complete opposite direction. God calls on uh, Peter, who is a disciple of Jesus, an apostle of Jesus, but clearly a man who has been strongly influenced over the course of his life by the law of the Old Testament and by tradition, by the teaching uh, in his uh, nation. And Peter had learned as he had been taught in the Old Testament there were certain things that God called clean and there were certain things that were unclean, certain things uh, that that the, the Jewish people were not to participate in. And so Peter falls into this trance, and this uh, table is spread before him, so to speak, in our common language, and all of these animals and birds and reptiles, some of which are clean and some of which are unclean, and Peter's commanded by God to seemingly break a commandment and, and go in a different direction that he was originally taught. And Peter maybe is wondering, is this a test? Is the Lord trying to see if I really will trust him or not? And so he says, Lord, no, I, I can't do that. Peter clearly is influenced by the traditions of his fathers, which are radically different from the person of Cornelius, but also Peter is on the influence of generations of negative presuppositions about people outside his race. You see, for the nation of Israel, the rest of the world, the rest of the Gentile world had really become people, not people that God loved, although the Old Testament clearly speaks of God loving the nations, but rather those to be scorned, those to be avoided. We don't have anything to do with those folks. I I would venture to guess, and this isn't anywhere in the Bible. This is simply Tom Rick's guess. But I'm going to guess that Peter in his entire life didn't speak in any kind of significant way to more than five Gentiles. And I have no way to prove that. And I don't mean that he's walking down the street or he's selling his fish at the market that he wouldn't have a casual conversation. I'm talking about sitting down and really talking with someone, getting to know them. And so here you have Cornelius, who has nothing in common with Peter. And here you have Peter, who, who is trying to figure out what God's telling him about, about the law and about uh, God changing things from unclean to clean. And what does all that mean? And you have a man that is probably, more than anything else, confused. And we'll see that in the, in the next few verses in just a moment. But again, these two have nothing in common. 
except that God is going to expand their understanding of his grace and his mercy. So to Cornelius, he appears and says, Cornelius, and Cornelius says, I'm listening. And God says, send somebody and go get Peter. And he tells him where to find him. To Peter, he says to Peter, you need to open your mind a little bit, son, and you need to brace yourself. I'm about to turn the page. I'm about to help you deepen your understanding of this new covenant that I have in my son, Jesus Christ. That's what God does. He prepares us. He offers us opportunities to sit and to listen and to learn in order to understand his grace in a deeper and more effective way in order that we might bear witness to the truth of the gospel. The question isn't, does God prepare his people? The question is, are we listening? But not only does God prepare the participants for this encounter, but he also begins to push the limits just a bit. Listen to verses 17 through 23. While Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. So our our buddy Peter is is a little bit baffled here. Uh, If you go back to verse 17, it says, Now while Peter was still inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent arrived. Peter is perplexed. He's befuddled. He is mystified. God, what exactly are you trying to tell me? Is this a dietary thing? Are are you telling me that I I, I couldn't eat lobster before and now I can eat lobster? Are you telling me that I can have a a nice pulled pork sandwich? What exactly, uh, where are we going here? And he's scratching his head a bit. And in all due respect to Peter, uh, he is, he's seeking to be faithful to his God. But he, he's put his God in a bit of a box. And he said, kind of, this is how God operates. And this is kind of the only way that God operates. And he won't ever operate any other way differently than this. And so Peter is, is scratching his head a bit. But he's trying to keep up. He's, he's trying to understand. In other words, the way I put it is this way. Peter knew who was boss. When God said, there's some guys coming. And they're going to take you to another fellow's house. You go along with them. Peter didn't say, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. He obeyed. Now, he didn't understand why. But he, he didn't try to outthink his God. He, he didn't try to, to exercise some kind of intellectual dispute with God. He simply trusted that what God said was true and that he should follow him. Somebody put it this way one time. This is a great quote. The difference between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. What a great line. How, how many days of the week do I play God? I mean, how often do I say, well, I, I know what we should be doing here. And God says, Tom, I, I'm going to push those limits just a bit, son. Are you willing to go along with me for the sake of someone else coming into the kingdom of God? So Peter's baffled, but, but he's hanging in there. He's trying to keep up. Verses uh, 23 through 29. 
next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So I want to stick with Peter for, for just a minute. Peter is being obedient. Peter goes with these men. Peter's also uh, being humble. He's in the right frame of mind to, to, to focus and, and grow in his faith and understanding. Uh, so when he enters the house and Cornelius, who the only, he, the only thing he knows is that an angel told him to go get this guy, so he must be someone worth honoring. So Cornelius does some, in, in, in many ways, the respectful thing, and he falls down to worship him. But Peter says, no, stand up. I'm just a guy like you. Peter doesn't take any uh, of that which belongs only to God for himself. And then he says uh, that he went into the house. And, and then he begins to speak clearly about how you guys know that I shouldn't be here. It's against our law that I would even associate you. How's that for a lead-in when you're going to share the gospel with somebody? You know, I really shouldn't even be talking to you. But, but he's hanging in there. And so he says, I was sent for, and these are in the parentheses are, are, are my words. I was sent for by God. God's the one who sent for me. I came without objection to God. God told me to come here, and I, far be it for me to, to not follow him. And I asked then... Why have you sent for me? Okay, God, what's up? Again, we see Peter's limits being pushed. But we begin to see some of the old hostilities perhaps beginning to crack. And it makes me just stop and wonder about myself and, and asking you the same question this morning. is Where are our limits? You know, I, I was saying at our little prayer time this morning before we started um, at 8 o'clock, I said, you know, I could say I would, I would talk to anybody about Jesus. And I know ultimately at the end of the day, I really would. But if I'm honest and I stop and think about it, I, I probably have some limitations there. There are probably people that I'm less drawn towards. There are probably places where my mind is pretty closed off. And God is going to have to shove and push some of these Tom Ricks limitations away if I'm going to actually be used by him to share his unconditional love with others. Because not only does God prepare the participants, not only does he push the limits that we set up, but God is in the business of building a world without fences. Verses 30 through 33. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius uh, picks up on, I think, Peter's humility. 
and Peter's openness. And as Peter says, now, now what's the conversation? Where are we going here? Cornelius gives Peter his context. He explains to Peter what is happening in his own life, which to me says that Cornelius is a teachable guy. Cornelius is a, is a guy that has a spirit of being willing to listen and to learn and not just assume that he has all the answers. And also notice that Cornelius is a guy that expects his entire family to follow his lead, even though it appears that God is speaking through this very uh, unimportant and unknown Jewish peasant. Guy that never spent a day in his life in school. He grew up by the Lake of Galilee. He knew how to fish. He was pretty good at that, although a lot of times in the Gospels when they fished all night, they haven't caught anything. They need Jesus to help them. But, but Peter is, you know, it, it's not like you heard that in my generation, kind of Billy Graham is, is coming to town. And yet here's Cornelius who God is in the business of creating a world without fences, and he's creating within Cornelius a passion and a desire to hear the truth. And so he says, we're seated, we're here we want to know what God has to say. So share, Peter, what is God trying to tell us? Verses 34 through 43. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So here, here you have Cornelius saying to Peter, I'm not sure why we're together, but I had this vision, and clearly you're part of it, and God's brought you here, so we're all seated, and now we're ready. Would you please tell us what God has to say? And it's like the light bulbs of salvation start going off one after the other in Peter's head. It's now becoming like, let's say they have light bulbs in those days, the candles of uh, whatever they would have said uh, in their day and age. It's starting, he's starting to get the picture. It's become clear to him now what God has, is doing. But it, it never would have been clear to him had he not simply exercised a small, tiny bit of faith and scratching his head, followed God where he was leading. You see, sometimes I feel like I have to have all the answers before I can go and I can share with somebody. Sometimes maybe you feel like you, you've, you've got to know exactly what to say, and, and if you don't, you're just going to kind of back off until uh, the time may be exactly right. And yet I believe that that is actually us putting up fences instead of being in the business with God of, of, of creating a world without fences. Peter's 
now beginning to understand in both his heart, his emotions, as well as his mind, his intellect, that Jesus is for you, Cornelius. Jesus is not just for the, the nation of Israel. Jesus is for everyone. Notice that in this text, if you go back and look at it later today, you'll see that the word witness comes up a couple different times. And last week, we, we mentioned the fact that witness means you're kind of standing on, you know, up there on the stand taking an oath and you're speaking the truth. And, Jesus, and, and Peter's saying, Cornelius, I get it now. All of this points to the fact that Jesus is Savior and Lord for anyone who will put their faith in him. This is not about a family tree. This is not about your, your national or your, or your family pedigree. This is not about your level of intelligence. This is not about your, the, the amount of influence you have in your culture. This is not about the extent of your education. This is not about keeping people out. It's about bringing people in. And, it, and it's, a, it's just astounding to me in a beautiful way, the way verse 43 ends. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter now understands why he's here. He's here to share the gospel with this family, with this, with this person who's outside the nation of Israel because God's kingdom knows no boundaries. There are no fence lines in the kingdom of God. What are the fences that we are erecting? What are the fences that, that I put up? What are the fences that, that you put up? Sure, we believe in Jesus, but, but don't they kind of have to have the right political opinion before we'll actually sit down and engage with them and, and become friends? Isn't it really Jesus plus maybe just a little bit of social standing so that if anybody sees me hanging out with this person, they'll be like, you know, that's okay. They're, they're kind of part of the crowd. Isn't it Jesus plus not having a tattoo? I mean, really? You're all looking at me kind of weird, but, but about six years ago, um, uh, uh, some folks left Green Tree because they found out that one of our pastors had a tattoo. I won't divulge his name, but if you want to see it after the service, it's on my right leg. <laughs> and I'm not picking on those folks. I, you know, I, yeah, I am. I don't get it. But um, what, why do we add anything to Jesus? By the way, my tattoo's a cross, if that makes it any better for anybody. Um, but why is there something else? When God is tearing down the fences, when God says it's not about your skin color, it's not about how smart you are, it's not about how much money you have. In fact, God says, you know, the more money you have, the harder it is to actually get this stuff. Well, God says it's about everybody hearing the gospel on equal footing. And so I've been thinking about this, this, these fences, <laughs> that I erect, and maybe you could think about it some yourself. And I read this quote by Anne Lamott this week. Now, Anne Lamott is, is, a, is a sister in Christ and a person with whom I probably have very little in common. She is a phenomenal author, uh, but I would say uh, there, there are more things that we disagree on than we agree on. But she said this, and, and it really just kind of cut me to the heart. She said, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. God is not about building fences. He's about building his kingdom. And so here's Peter who, you know, 24 hours earlier was, was blissfully ignorant, <laughs> kind of going on his own way, preaching the gospel, was believing in Christ. Don't get me wrong. He, 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 was, he was kind of the lead apostle at the time. And yet there was something in Peter's mind that needed to, to be blown up. 
and need to be recreated by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. And I think that's probably true of me, and I would imagine it's true of many of you, that we need to kind of get out of our mindset a certain uh, picture of people that need to hear the gospel and be ready and be available because God is going to work. He is going to move. Again, the question is, will we be able to participate and receive some of the joy of that, or will we miss it? And just in case we might still be missing it a bit, God puts an exclamation point on this passage, verse 44 through 48. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Just in case there's any doubt, <laughs> Peter is preaching, and, and maybe he has an outline like this, maybe he doesn't, I don't know, but he's, he, he's being a good preacher, and he's going at it, and he's bringing the word, and, and it's like maybe God whispered in his ear, Peter, that's enough, they got it. I don't know if he did or he didn't, but Peter's still preaching, and, and Peter gets interrupted in his sermon. Now, this is kind of like the, the panic button of any pastor. You know, no pastor wants to be interrupted in, in the middle of their, of their sermon, and yet I guess it's okay if God's the one who interrupts you. So it's like he, he really had to make it clear to Peter that he, he had said enough. You're done. So he sent the Holy Spirit in the room with a big bang, and people started speaking in tongues, and there was just absolutely no doubt that the Spirit of God was present that salvation had happened, and that some more fences had been knocked down, and that the kingdom of God was growing. And so right in the middle of the sermon, God says, okay, Peter, you've done your job. Be quiet. Maybe Peter keeps going. And so he says, okay, Holy Spirit, go in there and get Peter's attention, would you please? <laughs> it's time. We got, we got to move this along. We got other things that we got to do. The Holy Spirit comes, and there's a public baptism. And there's a friendship that was unthinkable a couple days before that's now very real. The kingdom of God is growing so that Peter actually ends up hanging out with them for a few days. This is a, um, it's a great story. It's a true story. It actually happened. It's not made up. It's not a parable. It's not a, it doesn't point to something deeper. This is two guys that actually lived, and this conversation and this transformation actually took place. God is speaking to us this morning through Acts chapter 10. He might be speaking to you who are maybe you're a person who... Um, doesn't believe in Jesus. Maybe you've never considered the claims of Christ for you this morning. And perhaps today for the first time you're saying, mm, boy, Lord, if, if you're really there, I, I'd like to hear more about that. But you may be here this morning as a disciple of Jesus, and like me, maybe you've kind of said, I'll go so far, but yeah, maybe there's some things I, I won't do. Maybe I have some of my own fences. And I think by and large, Green Tree Community Church is a very welcoming place. I think by and large, Green Tree Community Church is a, is a pretty friendly place, but Green Tree Community Church is not a perfect place because there aren't any perfect people here. There's only saved sinners in this room. And I believe God is calling us to bear witness to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I believe that there are some fences in my life and some presuppositions in my life that need to be knocked down. And it needs to be about Jesus period. Not where you came from, 
Not how much money you have. Not where do you live. Not do you have a tattoo or not have a tattoo. It needs to be about Jesus. About God building his kingdom. For everyone who believes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you put uh, Peter and Cornelius on this collision course because you were expanding your kingdom. Part of that expansion was to reorient Peter's thinking to understand that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that his salvation, that his mercy was being extended far wider than Peter could have ever imagined. And that you were teaching Cornelius that Salvation was coming in a way that he, he'd never looked for it there. In a million years, you would have never guessed that's how it works out. And yet, as you brought these two together, your kingdom grew. There became a deeper understanding of your love for every nation, every tribe, every person under the sun. And Father, let us not leave this morning and go, oh, that was a great story. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful that God brought those two guys together? Wasn't it, wasn't it neat to see that happen? But Father, convict us, encourage us, challenge us. Whether sitting in the back room at Spencer's or teaching in a classroom or running a business or bumping into a total stranger, we have no idea why it happened. Father, help us to be people who tear down fences for the cause of Jesus Christ with humility and with grace and with compassion that you've shown us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.